are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Lance Daw and Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Happy Monday, everybody. Might not be the happiest of Mondays for some of you out there after we got to witness what was what was a competitive game on Saturday between Auburn and Penn State, but Auburn came up just short. We're going to have all of our reactions here for you today. Going to talk a lot about what happened on Saturday night, some of the miscues, what we liked, what we didn't like, what Auburn's going to be doing moving forward. Noah, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. I'm joining you guys via Skype, obviously, in Sylacauga today back at Radio Alabama headquarters. Kind of a bad day for me to head up 280, considering all the news and all of the analysis that we're going to have of today's ball game between Auburn and Penn State. But yeah, mixed feelings. I've had so many people ask me how I feel about the ball game on Saturday, and I tell each of them this statement. I'm equally baffled as I am impressed. There's a lot of good to take away, but there's also several things that are particularly concerning moving forward that obviously you hope get fixed, but it's a mixed bag of results after Saturday's loss in Happy Valley. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Some of our impressions from Auburn's 28-20 to loss on Saturday against Penn State. And like you mentioned, just some baffling things, some questionable decisions, I think was one of my initial impressions at the end of this game. Auburn had a lot of opportunities in this matchup to either take control of the game, get back into the game, and every single time they couldn't capitalize on things that would have put the momentum on their side and kept it there. Obviously, Auburn was able to respond a couple of different times when Penn State scored. They were go, they were able to go down, run the ball, and get Tank Bigsby in the end zone. But whenever it mattered most, there were just some really questionable decisions by this coaching staff that really left me wondering, what are we doing? We obviously have the ability to, to do certain things that will put us in positions to succeed, but this coaching staff uh, viewed it a little bit differently on Saturday. Well, I want to start out on the show saying this. It is extremely premature to still draw any conclusions about this coaching staff after a week three football game, their third football game, and their first meaningful football game as this new head coaching staff at Auburn. So I hope people out there aren't panicking. For anybody out there that maybe is rushing to draw conclusions here, just wait. It's just three games in, right? If you'll remember, Gus Malzahn did his first season in 2013, lost to LSU four games into that season. We all saw how that turned out. So don't rush. And I know that's not what you're doing here, Lance. I'm just saying I hope that there are folks out there that aren't doing that. And so throughout the show, I think it'll be really pertinent for you and I to say that so that people don't call in and be like, well, you guys are just jumping to conclusions. That's not at all what anybody should be doing at this point. It's just game three of this new head coaching staff's first season. But with that being said, I do think that there were some questionable outcomes on certain plays in the fourth quarter namely and some questionable uh, some decisions that maybe I was questioning real time during the ball game that you were pointing to just a moment ago that would have allowed Auburn to a get back into the ball game or b possibly even take over or get back in front of the ball game and the first one that I look back to is relatively early in the fourth quarter it's fourth down and one 
Auburn elects to kick the field goal. It draws them within one point. It's 21-20. to And that drive, Auburn is moving the ball at will on the ground. You're giving it to Tank Bigsby. You're giving it to Jarquez Hunter. You're moving the football easily. You've got fourth and one. You're down by four. When the the messaging for this football team all offseason long has been to be physical, to have this fourth and one mentality, to be aggressive, and to go out there and basically seize the moment to kick a field goal there. I didn't love it. And in the moment I was like, you've got the best running back in the country or one of the best running backs in the country and tank Bigsby Jarquez Hunter has been phenomenal today as well. And you elect to kick the field goal on fourth and one when your offensive line's been moving earth on the ground. If you continue that drive in that moment, you can go down there and score a touchdown and you can take the lead. Now, of course, if you didn't get that fourth down, at least you tried, right? And I wouldn't be mad if they didn't get that fourth down there. I wouldn't have judged the decision because that's what I was calling for in the moment. I wanted them to go for it, and they didn't go for it. They kicked the field goal. And my reasoning behind that is you just don't know, A, if your defense is going to get the stop on the next possession, but B, you don't know if you're ever going to get to that place on the field again. There is no guarantee that you may even get the football again. Penn State could have put together a seven, six-minute, seven-minute scoring drive, marched the ball down the field, and put it up 28-20 to 20 with like a minute and a half left, which isn't what ended up happening, but they did go down and score. They went down and scored relatively, relatively quickly, took the lead back up to eight, and then you were playing from behind yet again. I just didn't feel like the field goal really did much for you. You have one of the best running backs in the country. Your offensive line did great in run blocking. You were moving the ball with ease. Take the opportunity there, and if you're questioning whether or not that that's the right decision, just go back and watch last night's Monday or Sunday night football game between the Kansas City Chiefs mm-hmm. and the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens have the ball fourth down and one, fourth down and one and a half inside their own territory going against the best quarterback in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes. If they get that first down, game's over. If they don't, what happens? They put up a graphic last night on Sunday Night Football, and it said that the Ravens had a 33% chance of victory if they did not get that first down. What did they do? John Harbaugh asked Lamar Jackson, his quarterback, what do you want to do? And Lamar Jackson, without hesitation, says, we're going for it. And what did they do? They put the ball in the hands of one of the most dynamic rushers in the NFL, and Lamar Jackson, what did they do? They picked up the first down, and guess what? The Baltimore Ravens won the football game. Instead of giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes and putting the game in their hands. And that's exactly what Auburn did there in that fourth and one situation. They put the ball back in the hands of Penn State for them to have an opportunity to go and extend the lead, and that's exactly what they did. I would much rather have gone for it there. I would have felt comfortable with with if Auburn didn't if Auburn hadn't have got it, I wouldn't have even been upset. I would have been like, at least they went for it. Like you said a couple of minutes ago, I do want to give this coaching staff a a fair shake and and not jump to conclusions and say this is what our program's going to look like for the foreseeable future. It's over. Like I don't, we're we're not trying to be overly dramatic, but what we are trying to do is assess what happened in this game and say, okay, I completely agree with you, Noah. The fourth down situation early in that fourth quarter, if it were me, and like you said, if it were you, I would feel very comfortable going for it for the reasons that you stated. You have one of the best running backs in the entire country. You have a freshman right behind him that has been phenomenal all night and is still second in the nation in yards per rush attempt. And you've got an offensive line that has been moving earth whenever Auburn has wanted to establish the run on two different drives prior to this one. And this one was incredibly important. Obviously, like you said, if you score a touchdown, you're in the lead and you've got a little bit of momentum. And if you don't and you kick that field goal, well, we all saw what happened. But at the end of the day, 
I do feel like if you're if you're going to have, like you mentioned, that fourth and one mentality that Brian Harston has been emphasizing, and it's something that he emphasized the day that he got here, you're gonna you're gonna run the ball in that situation. It's I don't want to call Harston a hypocrite, but to say that and then in your biggest game of the season so far, go and then run the not run the ball on fourth down, I mean it's 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 it was it was a confusing call for sure and it was really disappointing because obviously we saw the outcome after that but I feel confident that not only would Auburn be able to pick it up but they would have been able to go down and score after that and so you look at what the game would have looked like it would have been what it would have been 24 24 20 uh, 24 21 and Penn State would have had the ball then like you, you you put yourself in such a, a much better position instead of playing from behind where you, you're able to play in front now and you're able to play a little bit of uh, more aggressive, which we didn't see from Auburn on defense at all uh, on Saturday of night. But Of course, if that was in the third quarter, you kicked the field goal. Yes. But it wasn't in the fourth quarter. There was like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And so, like I said, there's no guarantee that you even get back to that portion of the field again. Exactly. And um, unfortunately, Auburn did get back, or fortunately, I should say, and then the unfortunate results, Auburn did get back to that portion of the field again. They got down to fourth and two from the goal line. And looking back at, in the in real time, I was upset that Auburn took a timeout. But looking back at it, look, if Auburn takes a timeout there, and we're talking about the goal line situation here where Auburn failed to score and they went out through the fade. If Auburn calls a timeout there, and they draw up a play in the break, and they score, well, we're all applauding the timeout decision, right? Because we're applauding Coach Harson's leadership. We're applauding this coaching staff's leadership. We're applauding their ability to, to draw up a play like it's a basketball huddle and, and make that last-second shot, right? So I'm not mad about the timeout. I'm just mad, A, about the execution of the play, and B, the selection of the play. I hate the fade route. I, I Even when Seth Williams was at Auburn, I hated the fade route. It's statistically one of the lowest. Yep. Yep. It, one of the lowest um, completed passes, I feel like, in, in all of college football. It's not my favorite play call in the world. And um, now, I, I don't. Now, there, of course, there's. We don't even know if that was exactly the first read on the play. Maybe it wasn't executed correctly in the field. So I don't want to even get into it too much. But it, it, it just felt like there were some big moments in the fourth quarter that got that got mismanaged on the Auburn sideline, and it's overshadowing what I feel like was still a good performance from Auburn all in all. I don't think Auburn played bad. That's not at all my messaging from this ball game. That's not at all what I want people to take away from what we're talking about today. I think Auburn did some some things that looked really good on Saturday. I thought we saw legitimate improvement out of the quarterback position on the road. I thought we saw legitimate improvement out of the offensive line in terms of pass protection, at least when they've been put into situations like this. And Penn State blitzed all night long. Penn State said, we're going to end up in your backfield we are going to come after your quarterback who has proven time and time again that he is not capable of making plays on the road. And while Bo Nix wasn't perfect, Bo Nix wasn't great. Bo Nix was fine, though. He didn't turn the ball over, and he gave Auburn a chance to win, and he made some big-time throws throughout the game. He didn't really make too many mistakes. He had a couple of interceptable balls, but most quarterbacks would have an interceptable ball in, in, in a road environment like that, right? I felt like Bo managed the game. I thought he had leadership, and, and I thought that there was a lot of good things that Auburn did in the football game, just unfortunately got overshadowed by some missed opportunities in the fourth quarter. Auburn fans should be cautiously optimistic moving forward. They should be. It didn't go the way that you wanted it to, and I say cautiously optimistic because the schedule's a gauntlet. I am ter I, I, I'm terrified of the schedule moving forward. 
I've been talking to that with a couple of people today at work, just kind of asking me what's going on, you know, you're asking me about this past Saturday. I'm terrified of the future schedule. Why? Because there's like five ranked SEC opponents and, and two or three of them could be top 10 when you run into them, you know? I, and, and that's easy to be terrified of because Auburn, you know, me and you talked in the offseason about whether or not Auburn would lose to Arkansas or not in week three and the potential of starting out 0-3 in SEC play. Look, I think LSU's getting better. I don't know how good they are. I still think that they're one of the they're they're in the bottom half of the SEC West hierarchy at this point. Haven't played anybody since they lost to UCLA, but I do think based on what we've seen after their last two weeks that they should be improving just a little bit. But that's still we we just found out that that's an 8 p.m. kickoff in Death Valley. 8 p.m. kickoff in Death Valley. You got to be at least uncomfortable a little bit about going on the road there to Tiger Stadium. Then you got Georgia, who looks like the best team in the country right now. And then you've after that, you've got a ranked Arkansas team on the road. So your first three games are terrifying. After Arkansas, sure, you get the reprieve of a bye week, but then you're going to play an Ole Miss team that very well may be a top-10 team when that game rolls around. And I talked to a lot of Alabama fans that are absolutely terrified of Lane Kiffin at the moment and that game coming up in two weeks between Alabama and Ole Miss because Lane Kiffin's getting a week to prepare, an extra week to prepare, and he's going to try and throw up a ton of points on that Bama defense that just bled yardage this past weekend against Florida. And after Ole Miss, you got to play Texas A&M on the road in College Station, which I still feel really good about. But this, these first four games of SEC play are very tough, and you can get into a hole really quickly. That game in Death Valley, I'm sure people have seen it on Twitter. I'm sure people have talked to many people about this. Just, you know, at the water cooler, you're like, man, that game in Death Valley has all of a sudden become must win. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I want to go back to the, uh, the, the timeout call. But before I do, I want to say I do believe Auburn – is a more talented team than Penn State. I still believe that. It's just the game was mismanaged and there were opportunities that Auburn couldn't take advantage of. I still believe at a neutral site or at home, Auburn or in, if Auburn gets to play that game again, I believe Auburn wins that game. I still believe that Auburn is a more talented team than Penn State. It's just the the execution and the, and the play calling uh, was not there. But as far as the timeout goes, you said that you, you, you didn't necessarily have, a, have an issue with it. I agree with you. Obviously, you're going to want to get your guys set up, but at the same time, that timeout is really important to have in your back pocket because instead of having one, you have two, and you're able to get the ball back with about a minute and 30 seconds. Yeah. And that's really important because we saw, oh, look, Auburn was able to actually get in range for a Hail Mary at the end of the game. You give them an extra 40, uh, 35 seconds, imagine how qu- how much closer they could have gotten. The opportunity would have been easier, at least, for Auburn to try and get into the end zone. But you would have had a minute and a half to work. Exactly. And also, I do want to say this, like you mentioned, you are 100% right, and I had this in my notes. The fade pass is a statistically poor call, and especially on fourth down. There have been so many articles written about this, about how bad it is, even in goal line situations, to even run it on first down. It's just not a play that's often completed. And it, it, to, to call a timeout and then run that play, it's like, okay, sure. But to call a timeout and understand that if this play, this fade doesn't go well, then that's, then that's where you're at. It's just it's it doesn't make sense. And then Harson also said it's like it's something that we had been working all, on all week. It was something that we had schemed up and it was it was we were we were going to that play. Then why did you call a timeout for it? It's like it's, if you understand the situation and you know what you're going to go for, why did you call a timeout in the moment? And he was like, well, there were five options on the play and Kobe was one of them. And I, I agree with you. No, I don't want to jump to conclusions and say that that was his first read and let's jump on Kobe, Kobe and Bo Nix for not making that execution. But it sure seemed like his first read because the play was so quick and that's the guy that he went to immediately. So it's just there's a lot of things going on there in those, in those last couple of minutes at that goal line that it just it, it could have been managed a little bit better. And when you talk about the play call, 
you know, Tank Bigsby had already been trusted to score from four yards out and then from six yards out in this game twice. You give him a fourth down and two situation. You run some type of toss that you like you ran with Jarquez Hunter earlier earlier in the game twice that worked well. You run or something like you like, ran with Tank to score on earlier in the ball game. Right. You run it with Tank. You run some type of slants. You try and attack the middle instead of going to a fade route on some type of pick. Shed didn't even look like he ran his route on that play very well uh, on on that on that right side with with uh, with Hudson. So it just the whole thing was just a little confusing. But I will say again. I think Auburn is still a more talented team than Penn State. I think they've got more talented players. I think that it, that the game plan was not a hundred percent there, and in terms of the way that Knicks played, I think that I think this team played their hearts out on on Saturday night. I think they played really really well. Aside from the Kobe fumble, I think this team played as best as they could given the play call and given the circumstance. I'm still really proud of this team, and like you said, cautiously optimistic heading into the rest of this uh, rest of this season. Uh, but like you said, cautiously, because this schedule is daunting. And I want to get to the rest of that schedule and continue to talk about how comfortable we are with Auburn moving down the line. On the other side of this break, stick with us. Back on the line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going to continue to break down this Penn State-Auburn game that happened on Saturday night going to try and not to be too negative obviously there's still a lot of emotions coming off what was such a uh, a close game and such a uh, I guess a heartbreaking loss is a, is a way that you could put it and I said that we were going to talk about this schedule and how Auburn how comfortable we are with Auburn moving forward in the future but I do want to talk about Bo Nix and his performance for just a second because we we've got a, we, we've got still just a lot to unpack from this game his final stat line 21 of 37 185 yards uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions there, and and like Noah said, and I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you elaborate a little bit, uh, Noah, in just a second. But he did not he did not do anything that cost Auburn the game. He played he played so much better than he has on the road in the past. He looked a lot more calm. He didn't look like he was panicked. And like you said, there were a couple passes that either could have been picked off or should have been picked off. But you're gonna have those types of passes in these road environments. And to limit himself in terms of like true mistakes was really impressive. Now, was the accuracy there on a couple of downfield throws? It was not. But at the same time, I don't feel like he, he again, he didn't do anything to truly cost Auburn that game. And I'm really impressed with the way that he played on Saturday night. And if he can continue to build on that moving forward, I think Auburn's just going to, they're going to be just fine this season. I think so. There, there's some good things. There's some things that you're not going to like. Look, Bo Nix is still a work in progress. I think that's what everybody should be taking away from this game. But the key word here is, while I say he is a work in progress, you can at least see progress. So there's at least proof now, tangible proof, that Bo Nix is taking steps forward underneath this new coaching staff. So that should bring some legitimacy to any questions out there that people have had. That should bring some legitimacy to the answers that Bo Nix is actually getting better. The way that he performed this past Saturday is truly evidence that he is improving as a quarterback. Penn State's no slouch. They have one of the best secondaries in the Big Ten. You might could say that they have the best secondary in the Big Ten. If you got the best secondary in the Big Ten, that's going to be one of the better secondaries in all of college football. So, And they blitzed. They blitzed 40% of the time nearly in this ballgame. According to Pro Football Focus numbers, Bo Nix was blitzed on 16 dropbacks in the ballgame. And, of course, that's uh, he had 32 total dropbacks in, in the um, – excuse me, check that. 
I don't. Uh, I'm still looking for the statistics on how I many total dropbacks he had, and I'll get that to people in a second. But 40% of the time he was blitzed. Um, that is a that that that's a lot. And Auburn was definitely not blitzing that much on the other side. At least it didn't feel like that. But I felt like Bo Nix handled it pretty well. He only had a couple of throws that were turnover worthy in this game. He made several throws for me when I was watching this ball game in my living room with some fellow Auburn fans as well that were head turners for all of us looking at it sort of like, wow, he just, he just made that throw. We haven't seen that before. And of course, a lot of those were on scene routes, whether it was to Kobe Hudson or John Samuel shaker, they made some good talk. To- he made some good tosses to guys. He made some very difficult throws that in the past we would not have seen him be able to move the chains. And so Bo gave Auburn a chance to win. Was it perfect? No, I don't even think it was that good. I, I just think he was better than what he's been in the past. And that was enough to give Auburn a shot to win this ball game with Auburn's rushing attack. Does it still need to improve? Yes. There was evidence throughout the ball game that he was still going through his reads, that he was going through his progressions. I thought he did some good things, and um, there's stuff to build on from this performance. Now you got to avoid the, you got to avoid the, the near pick six that he had. Of course, that honestly should have been a pick six. Uh, that was that I believe that was towards the end of the first half. That would have been just a backbreaker early on in that ball game. But if you if you miss the if you take that out, I thought he had a I thought he had a fairly good game. Yeah, I agree with you. And and again. It wasn't. It wasn't the most like impressive performance. It wasn't a world-beating performance, but it was certainly. It was certainly uh, Set not in what the right we, direction. Yeah, it wasn't. It's not what we've seen in the past. Went ahead to the phone lines now. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety is the number to dial, and Ed is on the line with us. Ed, what's on your mind? Hey guys. Hey, I'm not in any way calling. You know. Now I will absolutely agree with with y'all. It, when a coach tells you the most precious thing that we got to do is ball security and all he's been able to do in the first half is run and he comes up with a trick play to start the second half, that doesn't ring true. You know what I'm saying? That's not ball security top play. And we hadn't been, you know, successful passing. And Kobe Hudson, he's a good player. He'll do fine. He's, you know, but, but I thought our offensive line did very well. Our tight end, you know, John Shanker, you know, that was like a, you know, All-American game. And our running backs did okay. Our quarterback, you know, when you say that he didn't, what he continues to do is what they uh, say they've been talking, teaching him all through spring until yesterday not to do is throw off your back foot, not to not to sit and lean into the throw, and he, he still cannot do it. And our receivers also, you know, that was like a that, – that was not a good – they were drop passes, but they, it just it, – on, on the defense, you know, our defensive ends that we've heard so much about, didn't, we had hardly no pass rush, and our defensive backs were pathetic. I mean, I thought that was Harson's strong point. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And, and like you said, there are a lot of positives to take away from this game. Obviously, John Samuel Schenker and Kobe Hudson, like you yeah. said, is going to be a good receiver. But you, yeah, you've got to. Uh, it ain't no, none of his fault. He's a good guy. Yeah. You've got to be able to execute in plays like that if you're going to run a trick play. You can't allow you can't allow your your offense to to to, to fumble the ball in such a big yeah. big game. I'm I'm yeah. okay with the call, 
but again, it's just the execution. You've got you've yeah. got to be able to execute. Yeah, yeah. But and like I said, I'm I, I'm overall I'm happy. But you know, we've got some things definitely that I, I did not think that our defensive backfield would get burned like that. That's the main thing. Uh, and I think we'll be all right at linebacker. I think Owen's going to be okay. And Zacoby, you know, he'll miss the first half this next game. Excuse me, this next game. Uh, my dog stretched me. But uh, anyway, uh, Oriole guys, I, like I said, I, I'm a little disappointed like y'all, but, uh, you know, uh, we'll see. And, it, it, and, and, hey, Penn State's a good team. Now, you've got to realize that, too. You know, all right, Oriole. Appreciate it, Ed. 334-321-1390 is the number to call if you want to give your thoughts on what happened on Saturday. Are you impressed? Are you disappointed? Is it a, a mixed bag? It certainly is for me. Uh, call in, give us your thoughts. And yeah, I agree with him. As far as the linebackers go, I mean, they were just fine. Chandler Wooten, 10 tackles. Owen Papo had five. But like he said, I just didn't expect the defensive backfield to be all out of sorts like that consistently. Was it play calling? Was it was it the scheme? Was it just the fact that Smoke Monday and Pritchett and McCreary just continue to find themselves just out of position? No, what are your thoughts? Um, You know, I, I think you got to look at the way that the game unfolded. Penn State blitzed a lot. There wasn't a whole lot of time to throw, even with the offensive line playing well. I, I thought the offensive line played about as well as they could with Penn State blitzing as much as they did. Once again, I go back to they, they blitzed nearly 40% of the time. Bo Nix dropped back to pass 42 times. He had 37 attempts, so somewhere in there, you know, you get some you get some sacks thrown in there. You get some scrambles where he took off and ran himself. I mean, there was, there was a significant amount of pressure brought towards him. It wasn't perfect. Once again, I go back to Penn State's got a good secondary. It's still a work in progress, and I, and I think that that's what people have to realize if folks are getting upset or, or folks are angry that it's not there yet. These are young receivers. They're just not there yet, and uh, maybe we all got ahead of ourselves a little bit too early after the first two games to think that the receivers were going to be there in this ballgame. You still saw some mistakes. There weren't a whole lot of drops. There were, According to Pro Football Focus, there were only two drops, um, so that's not – that's not terrible. Bo airmailed several passes downfield. I think that was his weakest point of the ball game was downfield accuracy. And I think that's where he truly felt the effects of the pressure. There were times where you knew the blitz was coming and Bo Nix had to uncork it and he missed. And that, and I told you on Friday, Auburn missing those shots downfield. You were going to kind of, you were going to know how the game was going to go if he wasn't hidden. Yep. Absolutely. Receivers got to get better. They've got to, they've got to be more consistent. On the other side of this break, we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports to uh, to give his thoughts on the Auburn-Penn State game as well as the really tough matchup between Alabama and Florida and Gainesville. That was a close one. Stick with us. Back on the line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. We've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on with us to talk a little bit about that matchup between Alabama and Florida, 31-29 in the favor of the Crimson Tide. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Well, considering I was almost rushed to the hospital Saturday watching that game, <laughs> uh, I I'm doing well. Made it through the weekend. I enjoyed a lot of college football. I've been enjoying the show so far today. Noah's in the the mothership today. Been have, having fun hanging out with him. We talked a lot of football today, but 
a lot to break down on you guys' show, I know. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like collectively between everybody here in the studio here in Auburn and everybody in the studio in Alabama or in Silicaga, we've all probably lost a few years off of our life after seeing both the Alabama and the Auburn games. But I do want to continue to talk about this Crimson Tide game. Bryce Young, 22 of uh, 35 for 233 yards and three touchdowns. He still looked really good in a, in a very hostile road environment. I think that was one of our questions coming into this game was how much pressure was this offensive line going to to let up on Bryce Young and was he able to handle the atmosphere? And he certainly se- certainly seemed like he was not the reason that the game was close on Saturday. He seemed to be, he seemed to be solid. Yeah, I thought Bright, Bryce Young was one of the few bright spots. It wasn't the receivers. It uh, wasn't the offensive line. It wasn't um, Pete Golding being uh, outcoached by Dan Mullen. Um, I thought Bryce Young, um, the first three possessions, they're able to put touchdowns together. And when you had a you know a first-year starting quarterback in his first true road game ever in the swamp, 5,000 people over capacity, 90,000 people screaming, yelling, a lot of Alabama beat writers who have covered the game for a long time saying that that is the loudest stadium they've ever been in with Alabama playing, including Baton Rouge, including Jordan Hare. Um, Florida wanted to win that game, and I think they showed it to you, but I thought Bryce Young was one of the very few bright spots outside of Brian Robinson's 5.7 yards per carry. I thought he had a good day, and I thought they kind of went away from him and chose McClellan down the stretch in the run game. But um, as the game went on, it felt like Florida just said, listen, Alabama's not going to beat us running the ball. We're going to make this young quarterback beat us. I thought Bryce Young um, did that down the stretch, scored when he had to. They had so many guys in the box. They were not going to let Alabama milk away that second half. Put uh, put Alabama in a bad spot, but overall they were able to get a win in the swamp. And I don't know, a lot of people were upset. I get it. You can watch the game a million times and ask yourself why the O-line is so bad running the ball. Ask yourself why Slade Bolden is still on the roster, uh, much less taking snaps. Ask yourself why we don't run routes past the the line to gain. I mean, you can ask yourselves a lot of questions, but a win in the swamp against a top 15 team and probably in in a top 10 hardest place to play in college football. I still think that still says a lot about this Alabama team and that young quarterback, Bryce Young. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't think that Alabama was outcoached in this game by Dan Mullen because I'll just say it to, to Mullen, it's not a good game plan to, to just let Alabama score 21 points, spot them 21, and then see if he can play catch up and come back and win the game. That's that's not a good strategy that will win you a lot of football games. But I want to talk about this Florida offense and the way that they was able to move the ball late against Alabama. Is it a concern at all that Florida was able to establish the run uh, consistently throughout this game? Should that be a concern from Crimson Tide fans in the future? If they're playing a, a mobile quarterback, yes. Unless if, the, if the quarterback's able to reel off about 75 yards like Emory Jones did, you're going to give up 175-plus on the ground because it's true 11-on-11 11 11 football. And Dan Mullen had the right pass plays called up when it mattered. I thought this Alabama defense, um, they got beat in the trenches, in my opinion, a little bit. I thought the, I thought the defensive line, they um, they went off script a little bit. They weren't filling the right gaps, really made it hard on Toa Toa and, and, uh, and Chris Harris. But I just thought that, you know, that the, the right play was called a bunch of times. They missed tackles. They had miss, uh, Florida backed up into uh, a lot of third and tens, one time a third and 19, and defensive backs didn't come up and make the right play. And I thought, although DeMarco Hellams led the team in tackles, he had a chance to get about seven or eight more and put that game away. So, you know, Dan Mullen didn't outcoach Nick Saban and um, Bill O'Brien. I, I think he outcoached 
um, Pete Golding. And this is three consecutive times that Alabama has played Dan Mullen, guys, dating back to Mississippi State in the last two times against Florida, that he has been one possession away from knocking off Nick Saban. And and I think it's time to start giving Dan Mullen a little credit. Um, I think he's a big game coach. He wins a lot of big games. He loses a lot of games he shouldn't lose. Listen, they lost four last year. One of those, the bowl game, don't really don't think it counts. But lost LSU, yeah, exactly. I mean, but he he had his team ready to go, and this was a twenty-one to three ball game. I think the bigger question is, why did Alabama? take its foot off the gas on offense on three straight possessions. Pete Golding's defense gave Bill O'Brien three more possessions to put Florida away in the second quarter, and Bill O'Brien couldn't find a way to score a point. I, I, I think that's probably the bigger question is that, you know, you can only put your defense on the field so much. Why couldn't Bill O'Brien find a way to score one more touchdown in the second quarter to end the ball game? Guys, this, this, this game is set up for you to score. I would say a 21-point lead in the early moments of the fourth quarter is still not necessarily safe in today's college football landscape. It's not. If you're playing a good offensive team, it's not. You have to put teams away. You have to keep your foot on the gas. And Alabama didn't do that offensively, and I think later in the game it put Pete Golding's defense in a bad spot. I think it's something that you can take away from this ball game is Dan Mullen. They they have got their guy at Florida. I don't think Florida's going anywhere anytime soon and, and of course he's going into year three year four this is I think this is year four for him this is where you start to to look back and you've got a full recruiting cycle through your doors this is where you can really start making some judgments on coaches you've given them enough run and I think Dan Mullen has showcased that he's the guy and you need to just let this guy get out of his way let this guy do his thing um, now I want to say this too about this ball game though it was around this week it, it was week two, week three of last year's football season that Ole Miss did this to Alabama. Right. And folks were pulling their hair out and calling right. for Pete Golding's head and didn't want him there anymore. And then what happened? Alabama turned it around on defense and became one of the most dominant teams in college football. It became the most dominant team in college football last year. Is Could this just be that game that they needed some stuff exposed for them to finally get to work on? Yeah, listen, they're going to get some work. But listen, if this game is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama blows them out. This is a massive, massive downturn for Dan Mullen. But in the swamp, um, out of the two teams in the state, uh, I'll I'll just be honest. I think the swamp may have been a little louder than Happy Valley on Saturday. And um, it it was just a a tough place to play. And uh, Bryce Young was his third start overall in that environment. um, it, it was tough. I think Alabama put some stuff on tape for Lane Kiffin, and if they're not careful, Lane Kiffin, I think he's got an offense that can score 45 a game if he wants to. Listen, these guys had 61 points in the third quarter. They could have scored 80 on Tulane, and I think I'm being generous. It could have maybe gotten up to 90. There's some stuff on tape, stuff for Alabama to fix. I still think they're kind of working Bryce Young into this massive playbook that everybody knows that Bill O'Brien has. He is an NFL guy. This playbook is pages and pages deep. And I think they, I think Pete, I think Bill O'Brien put more stock in Pete Golding than he should have in that game, thinking that they could continue to get stops and milk the game away. And I think Pete Golding um, bought too much stock into Bill O'Brien and what he was going to be able to do with a quarterback in his third start in one of the toughest places to play in college football. I agree with what Jeremy said there about if this is in Tuscaloosa, I don't think Florida has a shot. But it was something that we've been talking about all offseason and heading into this game, you know, how tough of, of a matchup this is. 
and it proved to be a tough matchup on Saturday. And looking forward down the, the rest of the, the Alabama schedule, like you said, Jeremy, you're looking at that Ole Miss game, some things have been put on tape, and it was something that I was kind of saying throughout the offseason. At some point before Alabama plays in Auburn, in, in, in A&M, even in Ole Miss, in, in there, throw them in there, there's going to be stuff put on tape early in the season that will kind of show, okay, if you're going to beat Alabama, this is the way that you do it. And that, that, that matchup on October 2nd, uh, we just got a time announced for it, 2.30 on CBS against the, the 13-ranked Rebels. It's, it's going to be a fun one. I want to ask, because there's been some speculation over the weekend about what is, who is the best team in the country. Is it Georgia or is it Alabama? I want to ask you both. Is Alabama still the best team in the country? Are they still deserving of that number one spot? I, I'd, I'd vote for Georgia. I don't have an AP vote. Um, uh, now, listen, this Georgia they team. They deserve the number one spot. No, I'm just saying, I, I think if Alabama and Georgia played Saturday on a neutral site, I'd probably I'd probably pick Georgia in a, in a straight-up bet. I'd take Georgia to win the game. I think that's a little bit different, though, than the question of asking, should Alabama still be number one? My reasoning for that is, yes, part of part of the way that I evaluate the polls is, do I think this team, team A would beat Team B? But I also think you got to look at resume. Alabama's gone out there. they got two top 25 wins on their schedule right now. Georgia, yes, they beat Clemson, but Clemson looks uh, listen, not very good right now, I mean, and they've beaten up on a couple of bad teams since and, Listen, and Clemson is not great. Clemson, I mean, Georgia didn't score an offensive touchdown on them either. So, I mean, it isn't like their offense is world beaters. If Alabama came out in that same game and won it 10 to 3 versus Clemson without scoring an offensive touchdown, there'd be a meltdown too. So I think everything should be taken into perspective. I just think if Alabama and Georgia played this very second, I think Georgia has a little more confidence and a little bit more of an identity on offense where they are right now. And I just I think so on both sides of the ball. Well, I think they have a better coach on defense. I, I mean, Kirby Smart is a better defensive coach than Pete Golding. I that I think that's obvious. Wow, that is just that is just the, I mean, the biggest hot take I've ever heard. Wow. <laughs> now is, is Kirby Smart a better defensive coach than Nick Saban? No, and Nick Saban is managing an organization. Pete Golding had a lot of talent last year. It came together. He's got a lot of talent this year. The wrap on Henry Toto's arm probably made it hard for him to tackle. Defense got worn out. He's going to have a chance to bounce back these next couple weeks. And Pete Golding. It feels like, again, is trying to prove his worth in Tuscaloosa because you saw the slow-mo camera on Saban um, um, let out an expletive and the name Pete come right after it, after the Alabama had 12 guys on the field. I'm not so sure Nick Saban is um, – never saw him do that to Sark, by the way. I'm not so sure Nick Saban is still just the biggest fan of Pete Golding. Final question to you here. You're looking at the rest of this Alabama schedule. You've got Ole Miss, like I said, A&M. You've got LSU, Arkansas, Auburn. Is there a regular season loss on this schedule? If Alabama makes it through Ole Miss, I don't think so. That Ole Miss game is terrifying. I mean, I recorded a podcast with uh, some of my best friends last night. We had an emergency pod. We pulled a Dave Portnoy. Um, Tell everybody what the name of it is. Uh, it's the Gump Runners podcast. We kind of make fun <laughs> of the uh, the Alabama fans that are outside in a line trying to get an autograph on uh, before falls, you know, the running of the Gump. So, but um, Oh, we know. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just saying. I know the Auburn fans know. But, yeah, we had an emergency pod yesterday because I think uh, that Ole Miss game is the most terrifying game on Alabama's schedule after what Auburn put on tape um, Saturday. I think that a lot of that worry has been kind of put to bed. Um, Not worried about the Auburn rushing attack at all with what Florida was able to do on the ground? I think Bryce, I just don't. I just looked at Auburn, and I know Alabama's defense is good. I know, I mean, this is not a shot at Auburn, not a shot at Brian Harson. Just I don't think the talent level really shakes out in that one. 
If Alabama rolls in there with no more injuries, not saying it won't be close. I still like Jordan Hare for 10 points. I think it's a 10-point advantage when you walk on the field of Jordan Hare for Auburn. Alabama's just better. And that's okay. It may not be the way that way next year. Alabama could have an injury or two. They could continually get worse on defense. I think the Ole Miss game is by far and away the scariest game left on Alabama's schedule. Jeremy, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great stuff that you do over at Radio Alabama Sports. It's actually Noah. I've turned into a front office man. It's, Noah does a great job on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Phenomenal employee. So thankful for what you guys are doing on the air. Great show. And I'll, I'll be listening to the rest of it. Thank you so much again for hopping on with us. Thanks, guys. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the other side of this break. We wrap up our number one with our reactions from the weekend. Wrapping up our number one of On the Line, Lance Gall, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going to wrap up the show here with some reactions from the weekend. Some great college football games all around, not just the Auburn and Alabama games, some great college football all around. We're going to get into that later in the show. And then also some fantastic high school games going on, obviously. Auburn, Auburn High, Lee Scott Academy. Noah does the play-by-play for the Warriors over there. But, yeah, some great games on Friday as well, Noah. That's right. And this week's Point Broadband High School Player of the Week is Lee Scott Academy's Patrick Futch. The senior running back rushed for 98 yards and three touchdowns in the Warriors' 31-14 win over Macon East. The Warriors advanced to 2-2 two and two overall, and they are 1-1 one and one in the region with a road game against Springwood School coming up this Friday in Lynette. Patrick Futch, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster, fiber internet, point-broadband. Dot com. Warriors took down making these 31 to 14. It was a fun time. Patrick Futch ran wild, trucked a kid in the end zone. It was a great time. He, uh, he, he ran like his hair was on fire. Yeah, absolutely. And Lee Scott, man, you talk about what they were doing last season compared to how competitive they've been this year. It's kind of what Auburn fans have been expected out of Harson. It's they want this guy to come in here and they want him to be more competitive. And at the end of the day, they just want to see, they want to see better results on the field, just the product on the field a lot better. And Lee Scott, They've been playing much better than they were last season, and it, they, they, they should be making the playoffs this year. And uh, like, like you've said, Noah, over and over, this team plays. They, they, they put their heart on the line every single time. 100%. They play hard. They're playing better. And, and, and going back to what you were saying about um, what you were saying about Auburn, I think Auburn's doing that too, though. I, I think we're already seeing that with Brian Harson, and I like some of the things that we heard out of his press conference today. You know, he didn't, he didn't put out any players of the week today. He said, we don't do that after a loss. That resonates with me. I appreciate that. You lost. I mean, like, what is, what is there to celebrate? I mean, there were some good things. Of course, you and I sitting here talking on the radio, there there were some good things to glean from that game. And he said that. He said some guys played well, right? But you lost. And then on top of that, he, he said some things along the lines of, and this is me paraphrasing here, but just you got to turn the page. You can't allow the game to beat you twice. You can't make the same mistakes twice. And I think moving forward in two weeks, we won't see this this coming up week against Georgia State. But two weeks from now, when Auburn plays LSU in Death Valley, did Auburn learn from some of the things that they learned from in Happy Valley? We'll find out. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of reactions for the weekend, I do kind of want to just get some get some more thoughts here on this Auburn-Penn State game. It's something, I just want to throw this out there, and it's not just me that said this over the offseason. I'm not trying to say it was like, oh, look at me, I'm right. I just want to throw it out there that this was a fear of mine, and it proved to be legitimate on Saturday, is that I came into this game in the offseason, talked about it before multiple times on the show, my number one concern was whether or not this pass rush was able to get home, and we saw two games in, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, 
Auburn's given up 77% complete, uh, completion percentage to opposing passers. If they can't get pressure, Sean Clifford will pick this defense apart. And that is exactly what happened on Saturday night. 28 of 32 uh, for, for Sean Clifford. And uh, it, it's, you don't even have to look at his game logs to know that was the best game of his career. In terms of in terms of completions, yardage, touchdown to interception ratio. I mean that that t- that interception at the end of the first half, you can chalk that up to ju- to just like that's that. I I don't put that on him. That's not that's not the end of the world. Uh, but he had just a phenomenal game, and for Auburn to get better moving forward, they've got to figure out how to manage zone and man coverage and how they're going to play this these defensive backs because in the past we've seen these DBs on roster they've thrived in man to man situations they thrive whenever they're closer to the line of scrimmage they're scrappy they can put your hand their hands on you they can be physical they've played very well whenever Auburn wants to do stuff like that like under steel but we've seen through three games Auburn playing a lot of soft coverage, a lot of cover four, cover six, middle middle eight, cover three, a lot of soft stuff where Penn State was just able to attack the zones and they were able to attack the seams multiple times. We saw that with tight ends running free down the field, just missed assignments all over the place. This defense has got to get better. And I don't, again, I don't want to, to not give this coaching staff credit. I don't want to give Derek Mason credit because I think I think he is going to get better. I think he is going to adjust. I think this team is going to get better defensively. I will say, though, if Kevin Steele is the DC for this game, I'm curious as to how it would have gone. I'm not saying that Auburn would have won or they would have lost either way. I'm just saying I would be interested to see how this game would have gone had Kevin Steele still been the DC. It's a difference of scheme. I think that's what you're getting at right now. There's there's some fundamental differences between the way that maybe Kevin Steele would have approached this than, than maybe Derek Mason did. I'll say this. Talk about Auburn's pass rush. There may be some unfair uh, – granted, it, it should be fair to say that Auburn's pass rush struggled, but we have to look at why did it struggle. Auburn only rushed like three guys a lot of times this whole ballgame. When there's five or six offensive linemen, at times there are six guys blocking because a lot of times we would see Penn State tight end blocking. When six guys are blocking, everybody's double teamed. You're not getting in the backfield. I don't, I don't care if Penn State's offensive line isn't very good. They, they, you're double teaming. Two giant human beings against one big human being. That's not going to work out. It's just not. Auburn only blitzed 28% of the time against Penn State in this ballgame. John Clifford felt no pressure, and that's not just because the the defensive line didn't play that great. I don't think the defensive line played great at getting out in in terms of pass rush. I thought they did very well in run stopping and, and in holding the point of attack. I thought they did great at that. But I also think you have to look at some some of the things schematically that we're getting at here is Auburn just never blitzed ever. And Penn State's just teeing off. They're like, we're going to send this guy. We're going to send this guy. We're going to send this guy. And that had some that had, that was a point of frustration for me watching the ball game. It was like. You know that your three or four guys that you're bringing, they're not getting home. Now it's time to dial something else more because this guy's just picking you apart. He's playing operation out there, and, he, and he's got all the time in the world, all the time in the world, and, he, and he's dissecting you. It's one of the most painful things to watch if you're a fan of the opposing team and you're watching the other quarterback just beat you by virtue of just death by a thousand cuts and to watch your defense either not adjust or not be able to adjust just you don't have the personnel to go out there and beat it and so you're right this defensive line was really good at run stopping and you wonder what it would have looked like if Auburn had blitzed at all in this game but again that goes back to the schematics 
why was Auburn approaching the game that way and why did they not adjust? Why did they never rush and why did they never put pressure on Sean Clifford? I don't want to say never because we got to see it at the end of the first half. Somebody put a hit, or I believe it was McLean that hit him that caused that interception. But you've got to be able to put pressure on Sean Clifford because we've seen time and time again when this kid has pressure put on him, he doesn't succeed. It's like Bo Nix. You, you, put, you put pressure in his face, he's not going to play well. So maybe Auburn just thought, well, we don't have the matchups on the outside and man to beat Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington. They're two really talented tight ends. Sure, in which case the secondary is just not good and we just got beat. But I believe this team is talented enough to play against guys like that because we've seen them do it against SEC competition. This was not just a, oh, this is how Auburn is. I think it had to do a good bit with the way that Derek Mason was calling plays last night. And again, like you said, it's a point of emphasis and just a point of frustration for me. Why was there no pressure? And like you said, if you rush three, you're not going to get to the quarterback consistently, if not ever. And we only got to see them do it. I think twice they got to Sean Clifford, at least to get pressure in his face. It was just really, really frustrating. That's going to do it for our number one of On the Line. On the other side of this break, we've got our making headlines segment. Clemson, Ohio State slipping to the edge of the top ten. Baltimore beating Kansas City in a thriller last night. And some more NFL news coming up later. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Going to continue on here, going to maybe break down just a little bit more of the uh, Auburn-Penn State game later on the show. Going to take a look at the AP Top 25 and this this, uh, segment of the show, we're going to do our making headlines segment, but before we do... Let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Inspector is on the line with us. How you doing, Inspector? Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great. What's on your mind? Well, I just want to talk a little bit about the game. Um, basically, uh, I see that uh, that turnover right after the half was the difference in the game, really. I mean, you take it down to the wire, it's uh, 21-20 yep. instead of up fourth and goal we're kicking a field goal to win the game yep that is that is exactly right I, I whenever that play happened i turned to a friend of mine and i said i don't think auburn can recover from this and that's why i said that's why i said the same thing i said well that's it that's the turning point right there and uh and i said that because of what our defense like you guys have already mentioned about the defense we started off the game rushing three people which is asinine i you know i'm not even going to go into that I told them during the summer that Mason was not the guy for the defense. I mean, look what he did at Vanderbilt, and you hire him to run our defense. Muschamp was available. He's a defensive coordinator. He had a better record at South Carolina than Mason did at Vanderbilt. Uh, It just frustrates me. 
I'm and uh, these guys are busting their butts, and the, and the coaches are making the wrong call, make putting the wrong schemes out there, and uh, it just frustrates me. And that's kind of that's kind of the the way that I kind of came away from the game. And again, like we've said earlier in, in the show, we don't want to to put this coaching staff on blast just yet, but we do want to take a look at this this game and say, okay. These kids played their hearts out. I mean, they played phenomenal. Jarquez Hunter, Tank Bigsby, the defense. I mean, they they played they played hard. It's just this coaching staff put them in a lot of questionable situations, and Auburn just was yeah, not able to right. execute. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I put this loss on, on the coaches. I mean, absolutely. And the kids have nothing to, to be ashamed of. I mean, they played a Power Five team to the wire and went for that one mistake, I think we still would have won the game despite what the coaches did to lose it. But uh, anyway, uh, it's the first Power 5 game. I'm, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to say, well, I, you know, I'm through. Um, we'll see what we do week after next. And because cause this is another, you know, we got to get our act together game and uh, see what happens two weeks from now. That's right. That matchup against LSU in the swamp is going to be, or in Baton Rouge rather, it's going to be pivotal for the season because after that, you've got four or five top 25 teams in consecutive weeks. Specter, appreciate the phone call. Thank you. That was Specter on the line with us. If you want to give your thoughts on the game, 334 321 1390. Going to go ahead and get into our making headlines segment. Noah Clemson and Ohio State slipping to the edge of the top 10 after some uninspiring performances on Saturday. You see Clemson beat Georgia Tech in what was a game that was uh, hampered by a weather delay. They beat uh, Georgia Tech 14 to 8. And if you watch that game, you saw Georgia Tech get down to the goal line at the end of that game to potentially win it. They ran a shovel pass and it was blown up. But that was that was a uh, that was a rough rough go for Clemson, and then you look at Ohio State. I mean, that Tulsa game was down to the wire up until late in the fourth quarter, and Ohio State was able to just brute force it with talent and pull away. But those two teams, teams that we thought would be legitimate contenders for the college football playoff, and I still think that that they've not eliminated themselves, but they just did not look clean uh, on Saturday. No, there's some really uh, concerning things in Clemson, South Carolina, and then in uh, and maybe even more so up in Columbus, Ohio, because Ohio State's going to face more opposition that's going to be able to beat them in the trenches like Oregon did. There, there are some losses left on these guys' schedules, and I say some. There may be multiple losses left for both of these teams in the regular season. Now, I don't want to overreact to either of these teams because – I've seen several times an Auburn team struggle against a Southern Miss. I mean, I, I, I go back to – we talk about – I like to draw this comparison between the Clemson-Georgia Tech game and then the Southern Miss-Auburn game back in 2018 mm-hmm. where that had a significant rain delay. And you just lose a lot of momentum. You lose a lot of want to play because you have to go and sit in the locker room and you're, you're playing out there on a bog. It just it throws everything into the air. And at that point when it's already a close ball game, it's kind of like – Oh, this could be anybody's. This could be anybody's game, and you end up seeing Auburn in that game. I think they only won by a touchdown against Southern Miss back several seasons ago in 2018. And, and Southern Miss is a much worse football team than Auburn. Even even that season, I think they were. And so, Georgia Tech's must work much, 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 much worse than Clemson. They are, but they're at least a Power Five team. And um, you know, it was very close to to Clemson getting upset. But I'm not overreacting. It's still week three. I'm still holding on to what I said last week where it's too early 
to overreact to anything. I, I still just don't think we know anything about anybody after three weeks. The sample size is not large enough. Just when you start to think that you know something, bam, UCLA loses to Fresno State, and they have like 40 seconds left to hold on. Can't do it. Just when you think that uh, that the Pac-12 may have some teams that were good enough this year to go to a college football playoff, of course, Oregon's third in the league, but who knows? Maybe Oregon ends up succumbing to the blustery nature of the Pac-12 because you look at Arizona State, they lost to BYU. You look at UCLA, they lose. USC fired their coach two weeks ago. After week one, we thought that the Pac-12 had some teams at the top that maybe were going to be okay. Guess what happens? Two weeks later, several of them have losses. They lost to teams outside of their league. One of them lost to a team inside their league, caused their coach to get fired. I'm just, it's too early for me to, um, for me to say anything about anybody. Like LSU lost to UCLA a couple of weeks ago, but that could mean nothing in two weeks. You know, I just think it's really too early this season. This has been a wacky year of college football already. I'm having an absolute blast. Might I add, this is so much fun watching this much chaos across college football to start. Teams may not be getting upset, but they don't look good. They just don't. You know that A&M may be top 10 right now, but you know they're beatable. And you know at any point, Arkansas this week could have their number, right? Alabama doesn't look that much, uh, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else like we thought they might have. Georgia does at this point. But then again, you go back to that Clemson game, they didn't even score a touchdown, at least not on the offensive side of the ball. So I think college football is really fun right now. It's really competitive, and you just don't know – you just don't know how it's going to go. I mean, I went nine and five in picks this past week. Yeah. Absolutely. Lines. I mean, it's just in the games that I thought I was going to get right. I got wrong. The games that I didn't feel great about, I got right. So it's just, it's a weird, it's weird. And, and that's something else I want to kind of link back to Spectre's call just a second ago. Um, yes, I equally very frustrated with what we saw from a scheme perspective on defense. I just, I just went in on that in the previous segment before we went to break for the, for the top of the hour. I mean, it was, it was like Sean Clifford had all the time of the world to play operation. I mean, he just got to pick Auburn apart. There was no urgency whatsoever. But on the flip side, it's three games in. I'm not drawing any conclusions yet on Derek Mason as defensive coordinator. And, and, and a big part of this, and, and why I say this, and I'm, and I'm roping this back to Auburn because I know people want us to bring this back to Auburn here, is that the way that this coaching staff is handling this loss is exactly the, the things that I want to hear. Don't get beat twice. Don't make the same mistake twice. Let's get better. And I think we've already got evidence of improvement in the Auburn program based off of this Penn State game because you see a guy like Bo Nix, I think he played from from a leadership standpoint and from handling a tough environment, I think he did the best that we've seen him do on the road against a great team. And that is that is true improvement. Auburn was in that ball game. I'll be honest. Gus Malzahn was the head coach. If this was last year's team, I think Auburn loses by two touchdowns with the way that that game unfolded. I don't think Auburn responds when, 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 when they, you know, fumble that play coming out of the coming out of the break. Was that a questionable decision to run a trick play out of the break? Yes. I did not like that either. But I think that there are so many things that you can look at in this game and be like, yeah, Auburn Auburn did better this week than maybe we would have under the previous coaching staff in, in, in a game like this. And that's why when I opened the show, I said, people have asked me about this all week, you know, all, all day long and then yesterday as well, about what I thought about the ball game. And I tell each and every one of them, I am equally baffled as I am impressed. Baffled by some of the decisions that were made, but also impressed with the team to see that they've came a little bit, they've made a step forward. They're a work in progress, but progress is being made. And so I don't think we know anything yet. Still too early to make conclusions. 
start drawing some more conclusions on this team after week five yeah. when they play LSU. Absolutely. Auburn Auburn got really close again on Saturday. And like you mentioned, college football has been awesome so far in terms of the amount of, not like you said, not necessarily upsets, but in terms of just that nobody's really come out on top as like the true, like the most elite team in the entire country. Obviously, you could look at Alabama and Georgia right now, but even they have had their struggles in, in different games. And it's been really fun so far. And I believe in terms of top 25 losses, it's the most in these first three weeks, I believe in, in college football history in terms of the amount of teams in the AP Top 25 that have lost uh, collectively over these past three weeks. And like you said, Clemson doesn't look great. Ohio State doesn't look great. You know, Auburn got inches away from beating Penn State. And even intern Belichick said over the break that if you put him in in, in a fourth and one situation, he probably gets that first down late in the early in the fourth quarter. Belichick said he probably could get that first down. He didn't actually say that. I'm kidding. But uh, all jokes aside, there's been some really good college football so far this season, and I'm really excited to see at the end of the year what the playoff looks like, what these bowl games look like, what does Auburn look like. We should do at the end of the year a start bench cut for Derek Mason, uh, Will Muschamp, and Kevin Steele for defensive coordinators and see what Auburn fans say to that one. Uh, again, not jumping to conclusions, just just emotions running hot for a lot of different fans over the way that this coaching staff uh, executed on Saturday. And I think they should quell them, right? right. Like, it is way too early. Yes, yeah, way I agree. Way too with you. early. I agree like, with you. I'm not happy with what I've seen from the fact that Auburn's given up like a 78% completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks, not just Penn State, but all of them. I'm not happy about that either. Worst in the country. And I, and I do think there are some things to change, but I, I think that it's way too early. And I think Derek Mason is still, I, I'm not, I, I think he is the right guy for the job to lead this defense, but we got to see changes too, right? Like yeah. if changes don't happen, then I, I understand people's frustrations across the course of the season, but I'm I'm trying to keep a level head after this ball game because I think we really did see some good things that should give people optimism. If you are concerned about that stretch, and I, I said earlier in the show, and I am concerned, Auburn's got five really tough games coming up in the SEC. Really tough games to start out their slate. I mean, you got LSU could be a top twenty-five team. They are receiving boats. If they if they handle Mississippi State, beat them down. I would not be shocked if they're on the cusp of the top 25 going into next week when Auburn's playing LSU or when Auburn's playing LSU. But then after LSU, you got to play who I think is the top team in the country right now in Georgia. I don't necessarily know if they have a claim yet to number one based on their resume, but I think they're playing like the best team in the country. After Georgia, you got a ranked Arkansas team, maybe on the cusp of the top 10 berth if they beat AM this week. And then after that, you got to play Ole Miss, also maybe on the cusp of the top 10, even if they lose to Alabama. And then following that, you got to go to AM for who, who knows, may still be in the top 10, maybe just outside of it. it. There's a very difficult SEC schedule, but it's just way too early to say that. Auburn's going to lose the majority of these ball games. I still hold to what I said in the preseason that I think that this is an eight-win football team at least. Nothing on Saturday made me think otherwise. Yeah, I agree with you. And again, that's not what I'm saying about Derek Mason. I'm yeah. not saying we're calling for his job after one game where Auburn was pressed by legitimate competition. I'm not saying that. You saw what the guy did at Stanford. He's a good DC. Obviously, did not have a whole oh, yeah, lot of success at Vanderbilt. Yeah, obviously, did not have a ton of success at Vanderbilt. But I believe with the amount of talent that's on roster, he is going to. And he, again, he has to. He's going to make the adjustments in order for this defense to play better. They've got too much talent on roster to, to waste, and I think he realizes that, and I think Auburn's going to go out there and make some game plan adjustments. But, yeah, as far as the trajectory of this Auburn football team, 
I'm 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 excited, but I'm very cautious about what could potentially happen because, like you said, these next five games are brutal, like absolutely brutal. I know that Arkansas, and I was talking about this over the break uh, with intern Belichick. I know that Arkansas currently has the number one strength of schedule in the entire country, and Auburn's number two. But you look at these next five games for for Auburn and. It is, it is absolutely brutal to go and play LSU, which is a place that you've not won since 1999. Then you get to play Georgia at home. And like you said, I agree. Uh, I think that's the, that's the number one team in the country right now. Again, like you said, not they, they, I, don't, I don't know if they're deserving of that number one spot right now, but they certainly are playing like the best team in the country. You go on the road at Arkansas, who is currently top 20 in the country, and if they beat A&M, I can only imagine they'll be top 15 whenever Auburn plays them. And this is a team that we've seen beat a Texas team that is hovering somewhere outside the top 25, maybe top 25 at the end of the season, that, that we've seen Arkansas go in and beat them, like intern Belichick pointed out uh, earlier off-air, physically. Arkansas was able to dominate in the trenches. I wonder how Auburn's going to be able to hold up in that matchup. And you got Ole Miss and even Alabama fans like Jeremy Law are concerned with that with the, with the game between the, uh, yep. the, the Crimson Tide and Ole Miss. You can only imagine how concerned Auburn fans will be at that point Saturday, October 30th. Then you go on the road and you play Texas A&M, currently ranked 7th in the country. I think honestly, out of the the uh, the, uh, the the five game slate, I think Texas A and M is the weakest opponent. I know that may shock some people, but without a quarterback, I think Auburn can go in there and win that game. But it's still top ten team on the road, really solid defense, really hostile environment in College Station. That's going to be tough. I mean, it's just if Auburn Auburn needs to make adjustments here within the next few few games. Uh, between Georgia State, LSU, for me to kind of feel feel confident heading into that uh, the the end of this season because again, while I'm not calling for Mason's job, I'm not saying it's the end of the world. You you've shown through one game where you had legitimate competition that you struggle in pass coverage, and I really want to see Auburn pick it up there because I again I believe they can. I think they've got the talent to do it. Yeah, and I mean, look, Arkansas schedule is brutal too. We're going to learn a lot about them this week when they play A&M at 2.30 in Arlington. I think Arkansas does win that ball game. I just don't think A&M is very good, but, and I didn't think A&M was going to be very good coming into the year, so this isn't me you know, overreacting. This is, not, this is me holding to what I think was true in the preseason, but, and, and so far I think has shown evidence to be true. But you move on past that A&M game, then they've got to play at Georgia. They've got to play at Ole Miss. I mean, they, they not only have to go through the physical test of playing that Georgia team, but then they go and they have to play in a track meet against Ole Miss, two very different physical tests, right? Like one, one of which is going to be physical in the trenches. The other one is, is going to test your mind and is going to test your your ability to keep up out in space. I mean, there's a lot that that there's a lot of differences in the way that those two teams are going to test you. Then you get to play Auburn at home. Those three games, I, look, Arkansas's got it rough. Auburn's got it rough. Auburn's got to win at Death Valley. I mean, that that, that, that became so much more important after losing at Penn State. But I think Auburn's still in a good spot to be able to do something like that. You have to remember, Auburn only lost by eight, guys. Only lost by eight. They came that close. And we've already seen a little bit of progression in some of the things that we saw on Saturday against Penn State. They did some good things. There were some things that we didn't like. There were some questionable decisions, I think, that we've that we've looked at and that we've poked at on the show today based on what the coaching staff did in the ballgame and scheme and then the, the fourth down calls and whatnot. We've talked about that a little bit. But despite all that, the team's still only lost by eight. Only lost by eight. And, and if you don't have that fumble, like Spectre pointed out, and to open up the second half, you, you, you're driving down there to kick a field goal, and you very well could have won the ballgame. And so I'm not, I'm not overreacting. I, I think Auburn's really not that far from being where they need to be at 
to win these games in the SEC and for, for this to be a bit of a springboard. Might I say, Auburn back, do y'all remember what things looked like in 2013 in the first half against LSU? Do, do people yep. remember what that looked like? Because it was ugly. Auburn was getting ran over by LSU in that first half in 2013. Second half comes out. They played much better. They still lose by two touchdowns. Still lost by two touchdowns. And now that LSU team, you could say that LSU team was better than this Penn State team. Death Valley, tougher place to play than playing in Happy Valley, of course. Uh, Not just for name value purposes, but also, I mean, it's actually much tougher. uh, Not just the death aspect. But, you know, I, I still think that you look at that game and you see how things turned around in 2013. Why can't that happen right here? And I'm not saying Auburn can't is going to go, you know, 11 to one and go to the national championship or anything like that. But why can't things turn around and Auburn get to eight wins? Why can't things turn around and Auburn get to nine wins? I think that that's just ridiculous at this point. Not saying that anybody's called in and said that because that 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 hasn't happened. But if there are Auburn fans out there panicking to that point at this point, oh man, just just pump the brakes because we've seen a lot worse. And again, you look at that LSU game, and I don't want to say that it's must win, but it's gotten pretty close to that point where we were talking about this offseason, whether or not Auburn would be able to break the curse and win in Baton Rouge. And it feels like now more than ever right now, although I'm not panicking, it feels like, man, Auburn's got to go out there and they've got to put a good performance together. On the other side of this break, we are going to take a look at the AP Top 25 poll. Auburn hanging in at number 23. Going to look at the rest of the uh, the poll and ask whether or not it's really t- truly time to bail on Clemson and Ohio State. All that and more on the other side of this break. Stick with us. Back on the line, Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports 98.3 FM. If you want to call in and give your thoughts on this Auburn schedule, give your thoughts on the future for this program, this team. Again, we're not trying to be overly dramatic, trying to be rational, trying to be look at the positive side of things. Obviously, we're only three games into the season. We've got so much ahead of us in terms of, of great matchups and opportunities for Auburn to kind of springboard themselves in SEC play. But if you want to call in, Numbers 334-321-1390. Just give us your thoughts on this Auburn team and and where they're heading. Want to take a look at the AP Top 25 poll and just kind of look at some of these uh, the the moving and shaking because there were there were some uh, there was a little bit of mix 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 up at the top. Uh, I want to go ahead and just go ahead and get into it. Alabama at number one, Georgia at number two, and then Oregon moved over Oklahoma to that number three spot after Oklahoma struggled with Nebraska at home. Oklahoma now at four. Iowa still at five. Penn State moved up four spots to six. Makes me wonder just how much these uh, AP voters value that win over Auburn at home in a whiteout. Makes you think that uh, these AP f- voters think Auburn is, is is pretty darn good. A&M, There's respect there. Yeah, A&M stays there at seven. Cincinnati at eight. Clemson drops three spots to nine, and Ohio State moves down one spot to ten. But yeah, talking about Auburn, they only moved down one spot to number 23, but there is a lot of respect uh, being put on the Auburn Tigers because, it, again, this is – and this is what I said at the end of the game on Saturday to, to one of my friends. It's like, at least we didn't go in. We didn't make a mistake like fumble. We didn't fold. We did not pull a Gus Malzahn. We did not fold. We kept in that game. We kept fighting, and we responded with touchdown drives, and we were efficient whenever we wanted to run the ball. And I, I, w- I was proud of the team. Now, obviously, there are concerns, and obviously there are things that Auburn's going need to f- need to fix. It's a very much so a mixed bag of emotions for me as a fan uh, on Saturday because, again, there were so many things I'm like, wow, that was really, really good. And then there's some, some things like, that's really, really, really bad. But 
uh, apparently the the AP voters are putting a lot of stock in in Auburn uh, to move Penn State up four spots and only drop Auburn one. I just don't think that Auburn had a performance on Saturday that was worthy of them leaving the top 25. Honestly, I don't know if I even would have dropped them. Yep. Um, If Auburn played Fresno State, and of course you look at the resume, and Fresno State did just beat UCLA, but maybe UCLA was overranked. You know, I've said several times throughout today's show that I just don't think we know anything. And if you just and the Pac-12 is a perfect example. Oregon at three may even be an overreaction to jump Oklahoma. Maybe Nebraska's getting better. Do we really know? It's week three. Yep. They've only played three games. Now Oregon beat Ohio State, you know, but Ohio State gets dropped to nine or ten, excuse me. So, like, voters obviously really uh, – get this. Like, Texas A&M only wins by three against Colorado. looks absolutely awful. Colorado gets beat by Minnesota 30-0, to zero, by the way, this past week. And Ohio State drops more to ten. Right. After – a two touchdown win over Tulsa, which Tulsa's not good either. Tulsa, Tulsa's awful. I'd love to see Tulsa and Colorado playing them in a game. That might be uh, kind of an anti bowl game. See how that turns out. You know, that, I mean, Tulsa might even be able to win it. I, I, I don't know, but that that it's there's been some irregularity. No, not irregular. There's been some inconsistencies. I would say with 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 the top twenty five this week, and I'm fine with twenty three for Auburn. I think there's respect there. I don't even know if I'd move Auburn down to twenty three. I thought Auburn played like a top 25 team, like a top 22 team. That's just nitpicking there, but I just don't think that the, that folks should be folks should not be overreacting after what we've seen in college football. It is wild out there. No, and I, I don't think that people should be react, re, overreacting. And I will say this, like we mentioned earlier, it is a fantastic time to be a college football fan because you look up and down this top 25, you look at the, the good teams supposedly in college football right now, and I think you could make a case for a lot of different teams to throw out hot takes or, or, or just predictions or speculations, and you can have at least a little bit of merit to them. Like we've seen, like, like I agree with you, it's only week three, but we've seen so many wild things happen over the course of these three weeks that if we want to get in predict, into predictions, if we want to get into ranking these teams, I think there's a lot of argument that could be made for indi- individually for these different programs. And again, it's just a fantastic time to be watching college football. Do I think that Iowa is, is genuinely a top five team in the country right now? Probably not. But again, it's fun to have that early in the season. It's fun to have Oregon at number three. It's fun to see teams like Clemson and Ohio State drop to the borderline of the top 10, even though they're probably still going to end up somewhere between the top six or seven at the end of the year. Again, like you said, those teams, I don't know if they exactly (laughs) like that's exactly what I was about to say is again, we don't know, but it's fun because you, again, you can, you can put a prediction out there for a lot of these teams and at least have some merit for it because these three weeks have just been absolutely wild. I do want to ask you though, about Clemson and Ohio state. Is it truly time to bail on the tigers and the Buckeyes? Um, maybe we need to qualify this a little bit. Bale, I, look, I, I don't know if we see... Drop them behind Notre Dame in our top 25 rankings. Oh, uh, definitely not. <laughs> um, the, this is, I, I will say this, both of these teams will not make the playoff. I don't think that that will happen. So, which opens the door up for another two SEC team playoff, which we could be heading towards if Alabama and Georgia end up finishing the year undefeated. I think very much so, undeniably, Looking across college football right now, whoever wins the SEC title game, doesn't matter. Put both of them in. Uh, I think the SEC has been that good at this point. You look up and down the league, seven teams are ranked. Half of the SEC is ranked, and most of them are inside the top 20. Top, all of them are inside the top 16 with the exception of one. 
most of them are parked inside the top 13. Five of them are inside the top 13 right now. So I, I think at this point, I love Alabama and Georgia to be in the playoff with everything that we've how we've seen. And I think that means one of these two teams does not make the college football playoff. So I'm bailing on that notion that we will see in Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, you know, the same thing that we've been seeing most years that will not be occurring this year. One of those teams will not make it, but am I ready to bail on both of them to not make the playoff? I think it's still too early. I would be, I would be being a hypocrite throughout the, you know, based on everything I've said throughout the show today, if I were to say, yeah, it's time to abandon ship because these two teams could very well just, you know, roll in and win out. It's not a super tough schedule for either of them. I think they, I think they do run into losses again this year, which would probably eliminate them. But maybe one of them does win out. On the other side of this break, we give our Saturday takeaways from some of these different matchups. Going to talk about Oklahoma, Nebraska, Cincinnati, Indiana, Fresno State upsetting UCLA. All that and more on the other side of this break. Thirty minutes left in the Monday edition of On the Line. Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you. If you want to call in, give your thoughts about anything that happened over the weekend, college football related, sports related, even if you just got anything on your mind, if you want to talk about the Braves and how it's it's getting really close there in their division, if they as they wrap up the regular season, call in 334-321-1390. Going to continue on here in the show. Some of our Saturday takeaways from some of these big time matchups. Going to run down the list here. Alabama, Florida, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Cincinnati, Indiana, Fresno State, UCLA, and Michigan State, Miami. You want to start start there at the top with Alabama and Florida. And it was a game that kind of got out of hand early again. Like I said, Dan Mullen, it's not a great coaching. It's not a great coaching strategy if you're just like, you know what? Here's our game plan. We're going to spot Alabama 21 points, and then we're going to kind of trump uh, try and come back for fun it's just not that's not going to work it's not ideal but Alabama won that game 31 to 29 Bryce Young looked good the offense looked it looked, looked efficient it was just that defense that we know you and I expected it to be good and they played they played okay on Saturday they were able to force a turnover from Emory Jones and obviously they they won the game but allowing 241 yards rushing and 5.7 yards a carry I, I do have my concerns about this defense and not only that you saw Emory Jones time and time again either not have an accurate ball or just completely miss on what looked like an open receiver. There were just times downfield where Alabama was just not good in coverage. And I, get, I think Alabama is one of the top two teams in the country right now. But like Jeremy said earlier in the show, there have been things that have been put on tape now to where if you want to go out there and execute against Alabama, if you think you've got the quarterback to do it, and we're looking at that Ole Miss game right now as, as a really fun game in, in Tuscaloosa, uh, Alabama shown that they can, they are vulnerable and they can be beaten, I think. Yes, they, they have shown that. But I also want to add to this. I'm not disagreeing with you. They have shown that they are beatable. Most teams right now, they are there are very few teams that are – I don't even know if Georgia's leaps and bounds in front of everybody. Like mm-hmm. there, it, There's not a huge gap. Football games have been very interesting at this point. But also say this. There is a a progression curve, you know, and, and it's early on at this point, and Alabama – beat a team on the road that a good team on the road by two that's much much less than I thought they were going to do so maybe I was giving Alabama too much credit at the onset of this season based off what we saw against Miami and whatnot but this this Alabama team we said this exact same thing last year when they when they played Ole Miss and then what they do they got better and they won the national championship and it wasn't even close and so I'm not saying that they're going to do it again 
I don't, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I'm saying that that because they did it last year, it's going to happen this year. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that this team will get better. There is a progression curve. They're going to get better. Other teams are going to get better too. Just over the years, um, over the years, Alabama has proven that they're better at fixing their mistakes than other teams. And so this this Alabama team, I don't, I still don't know if they're going to win the national championship. You best believe I'm not ready to say that Georgia's going to win the national championship. <laughs> There's 40 years of history there that I'm not willing to to disembark from either. You know, so um, I, I I'm just I'm so just parked where I'm at right now. Alabama's one of the two best teams in the country. They still have issues, but I look at other teams across college football and I'm like, their issues are worse than Alabama's right now. And so that's why I'm that's why I'm still. I was impressed with Florida, and I was I, 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 equally I saw some things on on film like you did that Alabama had issues with, but their problems are not everybody else's problems right now either, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you made a really good point there as far as the way that Alabama rebounds from mistakes and the way the way that they adjust. Talk about Brian Harson and this coaching staff adjusting on the defensive side of the ball for the rest of the season. The way that Alabama has adjusted in the past, and we like you said, we saw it last year. Alabama will go out there, put a half-baked product on the field. They won't play well against an opponent, and then they will, for the rest of the season, they'll they'll adjust on it. Like Harson said, don't make the same mistake twice, and they will go and and do things like win the national title. I will say, like you said, I'm not ready to pick a national uh, a national champion yet. Obviously, I'm not even. I don't even know if I'm I'm ready to pick playoff teams yet because again it's only week three we don't know it's not necessarily fun to talk about playoff football in September there's just so much to 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 be found out but Alabama I will say it feels a little different this year and I think there's also history to back up the fact that Alabama with a freshman quarterback um they will lose they and the fact that they've not gone undefeated uh it's like after outside of last season, they have not gone undefeated since 2009. I yeah, think only that, twice in Nick Saban's career. Again, I'm not saying that Alabama's going to be terrible, but I'm saying that I think that there is room for a loss on this schedule somewhere, and it's it's going to be it's going to be fun to see if an, if if an opponent can actually go out there and exploit some of the issues that we saw against Florida on Saturday. Talking about issues, Oklahoma over Nebraska, 23 to 16. I want to ask you, Noah, is this? Because Oklahoma is just a, is not a very good team, they're just not polished yet, and they're still struggling. Or is Nebraska just getting better with Adrian Martinez? Before I go to the Oklahoma Nebraska game, I got to say one more thing about the Alabama Florida game. Good. I have to give my man Emory Jones some props, though. I do. The stat line does not look great for him as a passer in this ball game. It doesn't. But I think if you go back and watch the game, he led his team well. He ran the offense. You and I have major questions about whether or not he should be the guy at quarterback for for Florida or if they should go to the freshman yet. The Emory Jones I saw on Saturday, despite the fact that he threw a pick and no touchdowns, it was kind of Nick Marshall-esque, 2013 Nick Marshall-esque. Not saying that Florida's going to have that type of year or anything like that, but I'm just saying he led the team. He did what he needed to do. He gave his team a chance to win. I'm completely fine with Emory Jones. I I, I just I don't even want to talk about Anthony Richardson anymore. I, I'm actually okay with saying that the guy's a freshman. Emory Jones proved something to me that he is that he should be the starter at at, at Florida at this point. With the way he competed against the number one team in the country, I th- he earned my respect on Saturday, and um, I, I respect Dan Mullen with sticking with the guy, not bailing on it. Because Emory Jones, I think you you put this game behind you on Florida's schedule. Of course, you still have the Georgia game. There are no other defenses on this Florida schedule that I'm concerned about for Emory Jones. No more. 
So um, I, I, I think that he I think he played well enough to where we could be looking at a 10 and two Florida team at the end of the year. And um, since when is that a bad thing? Since when is that a uh, benchable offense? You know what I mean? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you. The the thing that's kind of holding me back from saying I wouldn't necessarily say let's for, completely forget about Richardson because he again he still is a really talented kid and I think it's similar to after after saying that let's give Richardson a shot to be the starting quarterback I agree with you I've reformed my opinion and and I think it's got to be similar to what we saw with Tim Tebow. Uh, I believe it was in 2006 with Chris Lee because the still give him snaps. You're, I'm with you. You're gonna, I should ref, I should refine what I said there. Give him snaps inside the game because he is that good and he and he can make plays. Yeah. But forget about him as the starter this year. Yes. Emory Jones earned it. Yes, Emory Jones. After seeing the way that he competed against Alabama, uh, I think I think you got to let him let him ride it out. But I do want to see him cut down a little bit on the inter- interceptions. I know he's been dynamic. I know he's got 235 yards rushing. Uh, a couple touchdowns on the ground, but two touchdowns to five picks. I mean, he's on pace to throw 20 picks in this regular season. <laughs> and uh, I just I want to see him cut down on that. And if Florida just has to go to the ground game and just rely on that and then let Emory Jones kind of be that game manager, I think they can win a lot of football games this year. I agree with you. You look at the rest of their schedule outside of that Georgia game. I think they've got a lot of opportunities where they can just put their head, head in the ground. They can run the ball. They can let Emory Jones throw it whenever they feel comfortable, and they can put him in good situations because, again, I think they've got the athletes to get them in third and short, third and medium, and let that passing game develop, and it be simple, and it be easy. Uh, Again, I think they can win a lot of games this season. I'm right there with you. Give me a second real quick to find Nick Marshall's statistics because I I think we really do see a lot of similarities here between Nick Marshall and Emory Jones in terms of how they're being used and their trajectory right now because through – after his first four games at Auburn, um, Nick Marshall had four picks. How many does Emory Jones have right now? He has five. Yeah, so not that far off, you know. And he threw two against Mississippi State, and he threw two against LSU. And in that fourth game against LSU, he had no, he had no touchdowns and a fifty-one point five percent completion percentage. We only saw Nick Marshall throw two more interse- interceptions for the rest of the year. Finished with fourteen TDs to six picks. So, uh, and the schedule eases up quite considerably for Florida from here out. So uh, I'm with you. He's got to stop the picks. But I even think to a degree here, Emory Jones got better at that this past weekend. Only threw one, interse- only threw one interception and, and really didn't throw a ton of interceptable balls outside that. I think we even saw him get better this week compared to what we saw the first two weeks. So just kind of, I, I, I want to see him continue to develop out, but I see a lot of Nick Marshall and Emory Jones here. Yeah, and again, like, like you're talking about that 2013 season, there was a turning point where Auburn went on the road and played Texas A&M, and, and from that point on, offensively, they were just firing on all c- cylinders. I wonder if we see something similar with this Florida team. At some point, if Dan Mullen's willing to ride it out with Emory Jones, at some point you would believe it's going to click based on Mullen's track record with with past QBs. Before we get to the Oklahoma-Nebraska game, talking about that, we're going to head to our phone lines, 334-321-1390, and Dan is on the, on the line with us. Dan, how you doing? Uh, not bad, not bad. Trying to get over this whole deal. <laughs> um, well, I, yeah, I, I, I picked my score. <laughs> I had twenty-eight to twenty. I had the wrong teams, though. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, you know, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm disappointed in the loss, but I was, I was pretty happy that we actually looked like we deserved to be on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we we could have won that game, we were not far off. You know, if if we didn't fumble that ball, you know, right coming out of the the um, break. You know, and would say we just punt the ball, then it could be we're kicking the field goal, you know, on the one to take the lead, or we're kicking the field goal at the thirty at the end of the game to, to 
you know, win the game. So, right. so I don't think we were very far from where we need to be. I mean, I think we ended up with about 360 yards of offense, which you know wasn't great. But I mean, I remember, you know, under Gus, I mean, we, there was how many of those big, big games like that did we, I mean, try to break 200 yards, and we we didn't even deserve to be on the field. So, you know, look, there's obviously some weaknesses. Obviously, we got to figure out our pass rush. And in our coverage is a little bit on defense, and you know, you know, one big thing I'm sure I haven't been able to listen all day, but I'm sure people have mentioned about the receivers and stuff. And and you know, I, I look, I love Cedric. I, I, he's the hardest probably worker on the team, and, and he's a great blocker. And you know, at, at best, he's probably a possession receiver, but you know, he's just not physically, you know, and talented enough to be a guy that you're going to throw a fifty-fifty ball to, mm-hmm. and you're going to be bigger or taller or stronger you know, or a better catch radius or somebody that can go up and, and make those plays. And that's just, that's no knock on him. I mean, there's, none of us can really do that. There's, you know, it takes a certain guy that can do it. And I think we have a couple of guys on the team that can do that, you know, but, you know, they obviously, apparently they don't know the offense well enough yet, but we need to give them the crash course and, <laughs> you know, but I think, you know, as a receiver, either you got to be quick enough that you can create separation really fast and get open, or you got to be, just a, a bigger target or, or, you know, we heard so much about the tight end from Texas, you know, being such a re- great receiver out of the backfield, you know, I mean, maybe he's a candidate at six, five, you know, and, and two twenty five. he might be a guy that we could send down the field and, and throw it up to him. But every team is going to load the box against us running the ball. I mean, we have a, a fantastic group of running backs. I mean, at probably the best in the country, you know, in my opinion, and we're, they're going to load the box, and we're going to get one-on-one opportunities all day long. We just got to find a guy that can go up and get the ball. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and my question is, you know, how far behind – you're talking about those guys that can go up and get those 50-50 balls. How far behind are Zevion Capers and Elijah Canyon right now to the rest of this receiver room? And I like the fact that they trust Shedrick enough to give him those opportunities. And like you said, I think he's an incredibly hard worker. And also, like you said, I'm proud of the way that this team played on Saturday. They didn't fold, I don't feel like, at any point in the game. But – yeah, these receivers, they've got to be able to 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 get a little bit of separation. And like you said, I agree. I think we've got those guys on roster. It's just execution from this coaching staff, I felt like, could just have been a little bit better on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, look, I mean you got uh, Capers is 6'4", with long arms, and, and Canyon is he's 6'3", and he's 220 pounds. I mean, you got to have a guy that, that can fight for the ball that's – you know, that's just, hey, this is my ball and I'm going to get it. You know, because we're going to get one-on-one coverage a lot right. our game. And they got good corners and they're going to trust that and they're going to load the box. And so we got kind of effect on a few of those plays and then that'll back them up and then the rest of the offense will work even better. But, you know, I mean, I think we all know it. I'm just hoping the staff kind of can, can make those adjustments quick enough and but, you know, I was super proud that we didn't jump off sides very much. I mean, it seemed like the crowd noise didn't bother us that much, which makes me feel even better going into LSU. You know, and the offensive line, I thought, played pretty darn good. And, you know, and Bo missed some throws, but he, he did pretty darn good for the most part. You know, I, th- I thought he handled the pocket well. Um, but, you know, it, look, it was a tough game. And, I, and, look, you know, there's nothing you can do about it now. All you can do is just try to, you know, practice little mistakes and, and win the next one. So, appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it, Dan. 334-321-1390, the number to, to dial if you want to give your thoughts on the Penn State-Auburn game. Real quick before we go to break, any thoughts on that phone call, Noah? 
Yeah, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head on several things. You know, I was I was proud with how they handled the noise, and and I do think this coaching staff, like I said, he he said, I think we all know it. Now we just got to do it, right? And this game was very much so. You and I talked about this for so long. It was two extra weeks of fall camp. You didn't really I mean you said this last week. You just didn't really know on film what you were bad at yet because you hadn't seen it in a live game situation. Now you know what you're bad at. We all know what we're bad at. And the coaching staff in the press conference today, Brian Hartson had his Monday media availability, and he singled out pass coverage. Oh, yeah, he singled it out. And he said, we have to be better. We have to come up, and we have to make plays against it. And, I, you know, Brian Hartson does not strike me. And there, when he was first hired, people, you know, were asked about what his personality was like that knew him, that had coached with him. Like, this does not strike me as something that's going to that, – that he's okay – with the same issue reoccurring throughout the season, that he does not strike me as the type of coach that is going to see an issue with his team and then try and, and, and avoid is not the right word, but specifically game plan to you know to, to not ha- to, to not have to worry about it in, in the span of a football game. Like it, it, he does not strike me as the type of coach who is going to shy away from fixing that issue in the week to week practices that he has. And we're, we're going to see it, you know, over time, you know, throughout the season, if it really does improve, we're not going to see it this week because it's going to Georgia State. But, you know, two weeks from now when they're playing LSU, we're going to know, did they get better at it? Did, did they focus on fixing that during the during the week? Because in the previous coaching staff, and then and then, I'll, then we can go to break, but the previous coaching staff, it felt like if there was an issue, like if there was an issue on offense, we wouldn't try and fix it. Mm-hmm. We would just create game plans to avoid them, to avoid the issues inside the actual run of the game, right? We, we would just, we would run the ball more, you know, like th- that's what that felt like under the previous coaching staff. Whereas this one, I think you can say, all right, we need to fix this because this needs to be a part. This needs to be something that we, this is something that we need to be able to do. And, um, you know, pass coverage is a big part of the game of football, right? So I think that that's something that they're going to approach uh, and practice and try and improve over these next two weeks before they play a pass happy LSU offense that can throw for 300 on anybody. Yeah, and like you said, Harson is very aware of that, and he he talked about it in his media availability today, talking about like you know we had a really good practice Sunday, and we're going to continue to cut down on obvious our, our obvious mistakes and our our weaknesses, and I I do believe that this team is is going to be better. Uh, in terms of pass defense as the season goes along. On the other side of this break, we're going to wrap up the show, going to look at the rest of our Saturday takeaways and and go ahead and kind of give our final thoughts on this Penn State-Auburn game. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Gall here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports 98.3 FM been a phenomenal show so far and if you've missed any of it you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast uh we we've 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 logged a lot of different great stuff here over the past few months just kind of previewing this season and previewing this Penn State game and I'll say it again and I'm not trying to say oh look at me I was right there were a lot of other people out there that were making this projection but I was really concerned with this pass rush coming into this Penn State game and if it was not able to affect Sean Clifford I thought that he was going to have a very efficient day and that's what kind of turned to be but if you want to listen to the podcast and get our thoughts if you've missed any of them uh, today, again, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Going to continue our Saturday takeaways here to wrap up the show. Want to get to this Oklahoma-Nebraska game. And I asked you this question before uh, we were we were kind of breaking down the Alabama Florida game. We got a call. Is this an Oklahoma issue or is this a Nebraska's getting better with Adrian Martinez at quarterback? Cop out answer here. 
both. <laughs> I was kind of leaning in that direction as well. Better. Yeah, I was kind of leaning in that direction as well. I mean, you look at this game, it feels like Nebraska is, is kind of starting to piece a couple of different things together, but in Oklahoma has not impressed. They've won, and a win is a win, but they've they've, they've not impressed in their wins that they've had uh, so far this season. I agree. I think it is kind of a mixed bag there. I think, uh, like we've said all throughout this show, it's only week three. I don't think we can truly determine any clear-cut answer until we get a, a couple more games into the season. Obviously, with conference play, getting getting eight, we're getting into the thick of that and just more legitimate matchups happening throughout the year. We're going to need some time to really figure out where this Oklahoma team truly stands and if they're a legitimate playoff contender or not. Next you want to know something crazy? Go ahead. Adrian Martinez finished with an 86.5 adjusted quarterback rating. You want to know what Sean Clifford's was? Uh, 175? 88.7. Oh. <laughs> Adrian Martinez, according to, and this is ESPN.com stats, and the adjusted quarterback rating is on a scale of 0 to 100, 100 being perfect. Um, yeah, you, you adjusted there. Adrian Martinez had just as good of a day against, or almost as good of a day against Oklahoma as Sean Clifford had against Auburn. And we all saw what Sean Clifford did, right? If you didn't watch this Nebraska-Oklahoma game, I, I think there are signs of Nebraska getting better, and it starts at quarterback. Yeah, and and if it were me, I'd put Sean Clifford's rating at double. I'd put it at 200 because he was borderline perfect uh, on Saturday against Auburn. Again, just some things that we're going to need to clean up in the secondary here. We don't have enough time to get to the rest of these games, but I do want to say about Cincinnati, they're not as polished as I thought they would look, and I think we're going to get to just some more reactions for the weekend on tomorrow's show. But appreciate everybody sticking with us. Again, if you missed any of the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you all tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.